Welcome to Composer Quest. I'm Charlie McCarran, a Minneapolis composer. And I started this show because as I was browsing for podcasts on composing and songwriting, I actually didn't come up with that many. So what I tried to do with this show is get into a little more in-depth conversations with songwriters and composers about how they create music. And I try to mix in music examples wherever I can. So if you're a new listener to the show, just wanted to let you know I put out a new episode every Wednesday and Saturday. And I've interviewed a bunch of great artists so far, so you can check out all those episodes at ComposerQuest.com. I'm really excited about the next few episodes coming out, too, and I'll give you a little teaser. In the next couple days, I'm going to be announcing the first Composer Quest quest. And that will be a little composing challenge I put forward for you listeners, so that you can use what you've learned in this podcast, and maybe be featured on the show. We will see. Stay tuned. The next official Composer Quest episode will feature Mary Ellen Childs, who is a very creative composer here in the Twin Cities. She uses everything from rollerblades to zippers in her performances, and I just love her stuff. Next week, I'll share my interviews with two very talented guests, and by chance, they both experience synesthesia, which for them means that they experience colors when they hear music. So if you'd like to stay in the loop for future Composer Quest episodes, I invite you to subscribe on iTunes, or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. And now, on to the most exciting part of the episode, my talk with Dessa. Well, I'm sure it's complicated, and I'm sure your story goes way back. Dessa is a super talented poet and rapper, and she's also one of the founding members of Doomtree, which is a hip-hop collective here in the Twin Cities. She was kind enough to talk to me over the phone on the way to her first tour stop in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So I apologize that the audio quality isn't the best, but Dessa had a lot of great things to say about her creative process. So a special thanks to Dessa and a shout out to Mary Thayer for helping set up this interview. Hello. Hi, Dessa. This Hi. Is, this is Charlie from Composer Quest. Yeah. Hi, Charlie. How are you? Great. Thanks. Great. So, thanks so much for making time for this. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And you are currently on the the tour bus or tour van. Is yeah. That, yeah. We're in the I'm riding shotgun in the tour bus. You're on your way to Sioux Falls right now. Yeah, exactly. We're um, on day one, so the very first drive of the tour. And we'll be playing Sioux Falls tonight at a club called Icon. Awesome. How's the preparing been going for this tour? It's good. You know, we're it's always kind of getting ready to go. It feels like no matter how many weeks before a tour you start planning it, you always end up, like, packing the warm laundry into a bag. <laughs> so <laughs> it's always kind of rushed the morning out. But we've been doing some rehearsals for this tour to debut some material from the new disc that I'll be releasing in uh, the summer of this year. Great. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask you about is what kind of direction is your new album going in? I think for the new one, I was able to take what I'd learned from working in produced music with Doomtree and then combine that with what I learned about working with 
live players in the, the live ensemble which I work to try to come up with a treatment that suited each song. So I think instead of saying like, you know, I'm really interested in pursuing an organic sound or I'm really interested in pursuing uh, how they produce sounds. For this record, I sat down and wrote each song and then tried to figure out which treatments would best serve it. So right now I'm on the road with a with a five piece. So it's me and Joey and Phillips is on drums. And then Sean McPherson plays bass. Justin Kyle plays keys and guitar. And then Abby, who's traveled with us before as a singer, is also on keys as well. So I think sound is going to go fuller than in a lot of the touring that we've done in the past. I think we're working towards a more robust sound. Awesome. But yeah, it's it, really melodic. Is that the same group that's on Caster the Twin? Yeah, exactly. So those will be some familiar players from that record to kind of capture a more live and organic feel. This record also uses some of those signature uh, hallmark techniques that the, the Doomtree guys do. So, cool. Meaning, you know, banging drum tracks and lots of layered. What did you learn in the project Caster the Twin converting these hip-hop beats into a live group? I think a lot of that record was kind of a timbral education. Even just learning, you know, how does an electric space sound different than a wooden acoustic stand up bass? And how does a viola sound different from a violin? And how is Joey tuning that timpani? The same melody line can sound really different when it's voiced on a keyboard versus a harpsichord versus a grand piano versus a toy piano versus a clavichord versus Yeah. You know what I mean? So so for me, it was kind of an instrumental education. Yeah. Do you have a favorite from Caster the Twin that you felt really worked well translating it to a live group? Yeah, I think the first track on that album, 551, I thought that one translated really nicely. He passed the picture back to me and asked what I believe. I said virginity is a childhood disease And these days it seems Have interest in the attic thief Patience for the epigrammatic, the brief There's only four ways to acquire Anyone says different is a salesman or a liar You can find it, earn it, make it, or steal it I haven't found a single way to keep it Cause you can leash it, it'll leave You can teach it to stay and it'll leave You can case and display it Decay or waste it away Day by day it leaves you by degrees He put his hands on my knee Sometimes that's what it takes It doesn't make me happy One thing I like about your delivery of rapping, it's like a equal combination of rapping and singing. How do you decide between when you're going to be doing more melodic lines and more based on rhythms? I think the tempo probably determines it a lot. And if it's going to go, then it kind of naturally becomes a little bit more melodic. And then um, I like rap choruses, but I think a lot of songs are well served by having like a, a more musical motif between the, the rap choruses. So, you know, you've got a rap story, but a, a song refrain. I was kind of curious how you go about teaching hip-hop composition. 
because I know you've taught and still do teach. Is that right? You know, a few years ago, I served as a member of the faculty at the McNally Smith College of Music, and I taught a class on the poetics of hip-hop. I now continue to work with McNally as an artist in residence. Do you have any tips for people on coming up with rhythms? You know, I think a lot of the literary techniques that would be important in writing a short story or in writing a sonnet or in writing a three-verse poem are also important in hip-hop. But, you know, alliteration is important, simile is important, character development is important, wordplay is important, particularly important. But it's almost like hip-hop is the lens in which those techniques were explored. Uh, or I think they can be meaningfully explored through a lot of other lenses as well. To answer your question was coming up with rhythms. You know, sometimes rapping a verse over a new beat would kind of open my ears up to rhythmic possibilities that I would be unlikely to invent on my own. Yeah, you know, so you're listening to a beat, and maybe it seems as though the rhythms that first become apparent don't seem particularly inventive. Sometimes rapping a, another person's verse that you know over that same beat can kind of reveal the other approaches that might be at your disposal. Mike McLean's verses are metrically and professionally really different than mine. Sometimes it helps to like wrap a couple of his lines or wrap a couple of sims of lines over a new beat to see if there's a different way to write that beat. That's a really cool idea. <laughs> I like that. When you're listening to beats, what kind of beats inspire you to rap over them? I think... Um, I haven't quite identified the formula myself quite yet. Uh, if there's a common thread, it's difficult to identify. But a few of the things that I do like are, um, you know, I, I'm a sucker for strings. I like um, I like acoustic guitars. I'm picky about organs. Um, I like piano. I don't like really funky guitar lines. I think I tend to I tend to like kind of a melancholy feel, and I like drums that are shuffling or galloping. So those are some of the features that I dig. But to be honest, it's almost easier for me when working as a producer to say, hey, it's got some beats that I listen to them, rather than say, no, I like 95 BPM and, you know, two verse structures and one chorus structure and, uh, and a violin. That feels kind of like producing by numbers, and that hasn't been too successful. It's usually easier to just come over and listen to 20 beats and see if any of them move you. Sure. I have a fan question for you here. Okay. Um, from Please. Megan Vetch, who you might remember from St. Ben's. I think you guys were driving around mm. for a while. So Megan at St. Ben's, she, um, oh, yeah, 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 the short-haired Megan, of course, yeah. Yep. And sure. she she said that she noticed your attention to detail with things, and she was kind of wondering, how do you utilize that attention to detail in your composing or your writing lyrics? Mm. Yeah, I edit a lot. When I write prose or poetry for the page, you know, usually I'll land on a final draft at about the 15th or 18th iteration. So I work and rework the material quite a bit, and that's true as a lyricist too. Like, I know a lot of my friends can sit down and write a whole 16 bar, you know, top to bottom, like with the beat looping in the background. And um, I, I would say it's a very rare occasion <laughs> that I've been able to 
sit down in, in one go and create something straight away that I'm doing. For me, it's a real accretive process, you know, bit by bit, it's added to usually. And after I've got enough material to, to make a song, I oftentimes you know, go back with a sharp knife. Sure. Do you ever do any freestyle rapping? I'm probably the worst freestyle rapper that you could meet who is oh. also making a living as a rapper. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I really suck. Oh. Sometimes I do it in my car to try to get better, but with the clothes, like, POS isn't a very good freestyler, and he would tell you as much. I was, I can say with relative confidence that I'm a worst freestyler. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in the same boat when it comes to writing lyrics. I don't know. Are you, they yeah. tend to takes me a little bit longer to come up with lyrics for my songs. Um, yeah. But what kind of tips do you have after being a slam poet and songwriter? What kind yeah. of tips do you have about uh, writing lyrics? One thing that I tell my students is to indulge your fascination and take your own interests very seriously. Because very often a good simile and metaphor depends on a wealth of available information that's unrelated to songwriting. So, you know, if you get your your heart broken, it's boring to sing a song that just says, I'm an agony, agony, agony. You know, it's, it's whining. So to come up with cool metaphors and similes to keep that song artful, you know, you're asked to compare your scenario or your feelings to something, to a scenario that's uh, very dissimilar to your own the heart of metaphors, finding similarities in the disparate. So I think having a really good working knowledge of, let's say, airplanes or anatomy or geography, that kind of thing can help you build the metaphors that will make your choruses and verses memorable. That's what I think, anyway. Yeah. I was also kind of wondering about your philosophy background, if that finds yeah. its way into your music. You know, I think it does, but I have a hard time feeling along the edges of how and where that educational background affects me as an artist, because it was such a big part of my development that I, I, I'm not exactly sure what I'd be like if I hadn't studied philosophy. But it meant a lot to me. So I think philosophy has helped me in business, and that it allows me to, to very clearly identify the arguments that are being made as I talk on the phone with a prospective partner. Also, I think I reference in a lot of my songs, people or places or events might be mentioned in a humanities class. You know, so I've named after a couple of philosophers, but it's not like I'm a philosophy rapper or anything. <laughs> you know? Sure. Well, mentioning the business side of it, I'm kind of curious how the Doomtree Collective works, because I know you guys don't do contracts, or at least at the beginning right, didn't. Right. Yeah, how does that work for you guys? Yeah, I think you know, Doomtree initially formed out of friendship. And I think even as we've become a small business and a record label and a touring entity, the core of the organization is that we're friends and that we want what's best for one another. To speak to the question about contracts. Now, initially, I had drafted up a lot of contracts and we'd all sign them. But at the end of the day, it was like, man, if you don't in this anymore, then the last thing I want to do is keep you here. So we didn't actually find that we had a very strong need for contracts because our organization had a bottom line that wasn't money. Our organization has a bottom line of happiness. What kind of things have you learned collaborating 
with those guys? I think I've learned patience with myself and with my friends. Although I struggle with that still too. And I think I've learned confidence. I used to be really shy to share my work with those guys because I was afraid they would like it or I was intimidated by them. And it's really hard to to be shy in this business. So in the 10 years since I've been in it, I think I've become a very extroverted person. You know, I feel comfortable talking to most kinds of people, which was not true when I started at all. <laughs> it's been assumed I'm soft or irrelevant because I refuse to downplay my intelligence. But in the room with thugs and rap veterans, why am I the only one who's acting like a gentleman? Good form, bad taste, pretty what a waste. All that style, not a thing to say. Looks to me like a little of your true screws at the shallow end of the cycle. All cloak, no dagger, just smoke and swagger. I hope that your battery's charged. Cause I found this here ladder, now your ceilings don't matter. Check me out, now I got glass floor. Hey, forget the bull in the china shop. There's a china doll in the bullpen. Walk with the switch, fire in the fist, biting at the bit, swinging every pitch. Coach put me in like. I got to see your U of M commencement speech just on YouTube. Yeah, oh, yeah. Let's Yeah. What you're saying about. Putting yourself out there and not being afraid to fail, I thought was yeah. pretty great. Do you remember a single point when you decided that you were going to pursue this and not care what people think? I probably still do care what people think. I'd probably compliment myself unduly if I said I was above that. I wish I were, but I'm probably not. From the beginning, there's a lot of voices of caution, I think, in musicians' life. Friends and family or colleagues tell you not to try to be a musician because your chances of success are very low. But I found that having even just a couple of people who thought I could do it made a big difference to me. And my dad ended up being one of those people. So even when I was confronting a lot of discouragement from other sources, it felt really good to just have one person into my corner. Well, are there any songs of yours that you'd want to talk about that demonstrate some sort of composition technique for people? Kind of a broad question, but... Yeah. Um, okay. I think, like, uh, on a lyrical level, as a writer, I find it interesting when people tell stories in a fashion that is something other than completely linear. And I think authors like Toni Morrison and Dave Eggers have done some really cool work where... It didn't seem like they were making things confusing just for the sake of being artsy, but they found a different way to tell a story. And so in the song Mindshaft 2, the start in the present moment and travel back 15 years. 15 years from tonight, you have to make a decision. The greatest love of your life is going to call during dinner from the home of the girl that he's living with now. And I have two themes running. One is of an adult woman who's going to get over a breakup and two, of a young girl who's visited from this older version of herself so that she might lend the older version to her heart, which is still capable of, of doing a big forgive. Then with your heart in your lap, your head in your hands, suddenly you had a plan. Wrap the mess in newspaper, headed west on Hennepin. Heavy with a huge favor for a kid that just turned ten. A flat-chested, gap-toothed girl was the best thing I've been so far. And now I'm too big to forgive him. I need just a moment to be a moment when I was still little. I used to sing on the roof outside my windowsill. I came hoping some ghosts of me would be here still. Here you are, a stick figure and a busted grin. Still ignorant of all the trouble I'm a getting. 
hoping we could trade life just for tonight. I could borrow your heart, you could borrow mine. Not much of a collateral, tattered and battle scarred, but I can promise you solemn, I'll be back for it tomorrow. I enjoyed watching these two characters interact, yeah. telling a story in two tenses. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed that. So. I, I really like that one. Thanks. Yeah. The Beekeeper, that's a newer song of yours. Yeah. Will that be on the next album also? Yeah, so The Beekeeper was released on Cast of the Twin in 2011. And um, the kind of complete version of that tune will be on the next disc. Like a kind of a piano and voice arrangement on Caster. Here comes the beekeeper With her pitcher full of smoke She'll put us all to sleep I hope it's dreamless and it's deep For listeners, how did that song come about? That was the first song that I wrote on piano as opposed to writing it over a beat that one of the ginger guys gave me. And I knew that I wanted to try to tackle some subject matter that was different from the subject matter I've written about on my previous recordings. So that song is more kind of mythic than personal. It's kind of a God's eye view story, somewhere on the one that's looking down at the kind of animals that men are, or as interested in the spheres and how, how does it survive on the planet. What album title, Caster the Twin. So that's based on a uh, myth also, huh? Yeah, exactly. Um, the twins, Caster and Paul, they're a pair of twin brothers in, in Greek and Roman mythology. And one of them was mortal, and one of them was immortal. Caster was the mortal twin. I decided to name the album after him because it seemed like a much more extended presentation and nuance of some highly produced songs that I had released with the Doom Tree guys. I was also kind of wondering about the music business side of things. How do you build an audience, and how do you keep getting people at your shows? I would say, I'm borrowing this line, but I can't remember from who, but I think like, the best marketing plan is a really good song. So I work with a lot of young students who are really eager to get their business side totally straight, but before you've gotten good music, you'd probably be better served just playing guitar than like, starting a website. But I think if people are, are confident that they've got to work, then the best advice I ever got was to keep my overhead low. You know, you can rock the used car, drink cheap beer, buy coffee and put cream and sugar in it instead of a latte. Because then you free yourself up to spend less time breadwinning and more time mastering your craft. Well, Dessa, I wish you the best of luck on your tour. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks. Let us know when the podcast is up. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Thanks again for yeah. joining me, and great talking to you. Thank you. Yeah. We'll see you soon. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Composer Quest with Dessa. To check out more of her music, visit doomtree.net slash dessa. I'll have links to all her music in this episode at composerquest.com. So now I'll leave you with part of my favorite Dessa song, Dixon's Girl. And this is the acoustic version that's on her album, Caster the Twin. But my money, not much, but my money, my money.